sports. Welcome to Sports Clips and Politics with your host, Ben Husong, and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 12 of Sports Clicks and Politics. Sorry for the uh, few-minute delay here. We are uh, running a tad behind. Uh, I won't blame anybody else. Uh, Mr. Husong, <laughs> thank you for joining us. I like how uh, you said you won't blame anybody else and then said my name first. Well, there's only two of us. Fair so, point. Um, All right, this one's on me. My fault. Um, no worries. Uh, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Uh, busy as always, and... I'm starting to understand more and more as my kids get older why people don't have four kids in four years. Well, live and learn, they say, right? You know, well, there's no take backs on these ones, though. So instead, it's just going and running from visiting family to baseball to gymnastics to hiking to biking. And all of a sudden, you look around and go, what day is it? Yeah, my well, my weekend is uh, uh, was very busy. I don't know if you know, there was a quite a uh, event going on at the club today, uh, this weekend, and uh, that kept me quite busy all week. So we had our big member guest at the club, and sure. as the bartender at a drinking club, I was uh, very popular. So um, I survived fair, though. For, I survived another year, and we are here. And uh, you know what? I, I was, it was worth it. So it was That's fun. Plus, see, it's a, it looks like a fun event by all accounts. Everybody has a great time when they go there, and I'll give you a lot of credit because. Dealing with that many people at that level of inebriation can sometimes be a trying feat, but I have to hand it to you. You never lose your cool. I've never yeah. seen you actually giving it the slightest bit upset about it, and you handle it very well. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I'm ca- I got a callus now, but it's you know it's borderline debauchery for a few days, so it's fun though. But anyway, I'm fine. Good. Um, let's talk about real people golf. Um, Dustin Johnson. You know, I'm not going to get too much into this when you shoot 30 under and you win by 11 strokes. I, you know, what else do you say? You just basically annihilated the field. And I, don't know, I think you shot like 60, 64, 63. Like, you're, you're pretty much going to win every tournament if those three are your rounds. So yeah. um, congratulations, I guess. Uh, it's one thing to do that and have the next guy within four or five strokes of you. And you're like, wow, it must have been an easy course or whatever it was. The scores are all there. You're talking PGA Tour event, the best golfers on the planet. Like, these are not the, the pro at your local club or course. This is, these guys couldn't dream of being as good as the Tour is. To win any event by 11 strokes is absurd. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, again, it was a very low-scoring event, but, again, you're separating yourself from the cream of the top, of the top, you know, the, it right. was a, it wasn't like a a, a, a a nobody field either. There was some uh, big names in there, so... Again, congratulations. It'd be fun to add him to the mix of people. Like, he kind of went away for a little bit ever since his uh, mishap at the Masters a few years ago um, where it looked like he was unbeatable then. And if he's going to bring this game to the tour now with a re-emerging Tiger Woods, uh, a Justin Thomas, a Kepka, Rory, you got all these young kids, the Morikawas, and you got Rahm, and you got, you know, Hovland. I mean, it's PGA has probably never been as healthy in my lifetime as it has – you know, maybe at peak of Tiger time. So I kind of hit that lull yeah. after that when Tiger went away. But, um, you know, if Tiger can start winning again, even or just competing again with some of these guys, that's going to make PGA pretty fun. So Absolutely. Um, that's exciting. Uh, the other sports that's going on right now, 
uh, that's somewhat entertaining is uh, the NBA, well, at least for me anyway, it's entertaining. We had two yeah. teams move on from round one, Boston and Toronto. They will actually play each other, so uh, no advantage there for sweeping. They both swept, and they'll eventually play each other in round two. Um, we have, I don't know about upsets yet. Um, the one, I guess, seed, if you're using the seeds to determine your upsets, the Utah Jazz are up 3-1 over the Denver Nuggets, which is, I think, a 6-3 game. So there's a little bit upset there. But the one intriguing series that has me is my boy Luca, where the Dallas Mavericks uh, won game four to even up the series with the, <clears throat> excuse me, Los Angeles Clippers, the probably odds-on favorite for most to win the whole thing this year, and now are in a first-round battle with the Dallas Mavericks minus Kristaps Porzingis, who was ejected in game two, and they ended up losing that game and then missed game four, and they ended up winning that game outright. So um, I don't know. That has me the most intrigued. I know you're not much of an NBA watcher uh, maybe these days, but um, they're starting to build some drama anyway. I think the the product is uh, is good. It, it's the same thing I was talking about last time, though. It's If your playoff consists of half of your teams getting in, I'm just not drawn in yet. And it's nothing against the product. It's They're all get half in. What's that? All the sports get about half I, in. I'm aware, but it's it's the same reason that I'm not going to get, as a casual fan, I'm not tuning in yet because with the exception of the Clippers and Mavericks, like most of this stuff you, you could have yeah. called no, well for sure, time. For sure. I mean, there's not there hasn't been much drama. I mean, obviously the, the, the Lakers lost the game. Um, which was, you know, they, they're up 2-1, though, so, like, if they win the next one, it's there doesn't seem to be any real intrigue um, other than, again, this this first-round matchup, and that's really just because the Mavericks have such really, really good young players. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that huge. they can. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're, they're great. Like, my, Luka's my favorite player in the league right now. Um, you know, I can't imagine him this being a title-winning kind of year for them, but I feel like the ceiling is unlimited for that guy and that team, really, because um, – they're, they're two of the most, they're him and, and Christoph Porzingis are probably the two of the most dynamic players in the league. So they're fun. Um, I root for them uh, as just a, a, a fan of, of basketball, I guess. So um, I could see that. And here's the thing. I, I will eventually start watching at some point. I'm almost inclined to watch the Clippers and the, uh, and the Mavericks play because now it's intriguing. It's, oh, shoot, this is not as, as one and done as I thought this was going to be. Uh, I, would, I did find it interesting, though, that, I don't think I'm alone because the ratings for the NBA are much lower than people expected them to be. And I, I don't have a good explanation as for why. You can blame streaming services, social media, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. But you should, you're the only game in town, really. I mean, you have golf and you have baseball. But I don't – how do I say this politically correctly? I don't think there's a lot of overlap between the people watching golf and the people watching basketball. And I, I don't think those are usually direct competition. But – you're talking about basketball games, and by all accounts, fantastic basketball games in a very fun setting that's very similar to the college atmosphere, and it's, everybody's enjoying it, and it's getting beat soundly in ratings by NASCAR, golf, and baseball. Something's amiss, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like at some point, I don't have a good reason to not tune in. I'm not boycotting the league or anything else. I have some objections to their stances, but I'm just not a boycott kind of guy. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, like I said, as the games get you know, more important, I'm guessing more eyes will come to the games. Um, we'll see. Um, Fingers. I don't crossed. have any. I don't have any real hot take on that either. Um, it's just interesting right now. I don't think you can draw any conclusion from it at this point. I just found it surprising. Of I would have thought their viewership would have been very high, given what we have going on in the rest of the country. And it's summertime. And you have playoff basketball going on, which is a big part of the season. And 
you're not competing with the NFL right now. You're not competing with playoff baseball right now. It's it's early for every sport. I would have thought you'd get more draw. I, but yeah. who knows? We'll see. Something I do have uh, an opinion on is our governor. Um, shocking. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like... I wish I should have looked up the who's the mayor in the fictional city of wherever it was, Indiana, where Footloose took place. Like I feel like that's Cuomo's spirit animal <laughs> and has now taken over and is trying to do a real life Footloose here in New York, right? So if you guys haven't seen, he's basically banned anything that has fun in it, basically, in all of New York. I feel like Cornhole was singled out, Darts was singled out. Like, what is this guy doing? He's he's clearly just he, is he trolling us? Like, I mean, is he just that I don't know, so vindictive that when anybody pushes back on his authority that he has to just double down and try to be, you know, the biggest, baddest authoritarian in the world because I feel like eventually he's going to ban something for everybody and eventually people are going to wake up to the idea that he's out of control. What sayeth you, Mr. Hughesung? I mean, it's it's so far beyond what is reasonable that we have lost our minds collectively. The fact that this is just okay is... It requires such an ignorance of the actual threat and the actual circumstances on the ground that everybody just goes, well, I mean, yeah, you got to ban cornhole, obviously. Like, what? Everything you don't like doesn't require a law banning it. And everything you like doesn't require a, a law passed making it a right. Like, none of these things have to be true. And as far as Cuomo goes, I think he is the uh, the epitome of a politician. So if you put all politicians on a spectrum compared to the average human being, I think that politicians are self-righteous, self-important, unable to acknowledge any wrongdoing, very arrogant, and have a hero complex. They are the ones who are going to save the day. Now, I think even amongst politicians, Andrew Cuomo is far at the end of the spectrum. They of could this. rename the scale after him. Right. They could name it the Cuomo coefficient at this point. Then they might get it confused with Chris, but that's another point. Um, so... When you get into these situations, and you could see it early on, of like, there's this threat, we don't really know anything yet, we don't know how bad this is, but it could be really bad, it looks like it's bad, and he steps up, and every politician always does this to say, all right, everybody, thank God I'm here, here's what we're going to do, I'm going to put hands on, and I'm going to solve this, and then all the people feel a little better, like, all right, good, somebody's in control. Yeah, it's, it's the government crippling us, and they give us a rubber crutch, and like, hey, th- waiting for us to thank them. It's Correct. Like, hey, yeah. Hey, we just took you out, and now we're going to try to help you. But the problem is that now it, it's unavoidable, it's undeniable that there was worse results in New York State than anywhere else. You, you can give me all the nonsense you want about population density and how it was here first, none of which are actually true in context, but fine. We did it worse. We, got it. we have very, very bad results. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put blame on somebody, welcome to the burden of leadership. If you're in charge and things go wrong, it's your fault. Now, if things go right, you get to take credit. But if things go wrong, you have to take the blame. So things obviously went wrong. There's no way that we can justify the mortality rate, the overall infections, or the economic shutdowns and long term damage to human beings and people and properties that that is gonna go on in the state. Now it's the part of the political spectrum that says acknowledging that means I did something wrong, and his brain cannot take that. So Wait, well, hold on real quickly before I interrupt you. He did admit to doing something wrong today. Stop it. He did. No, don't don't encourage this. He said he didn't lock lock us down fast enough. He wasn't as tyrannical as he should have been and shouldn't have made us wear masks earlier. So he did admit wrong where he could have been more authoritarian as opposed to 
um, you know, allowing the people to actually live their lives and be responsible adults. So I don't mean to interrupt you there. No, but no. I just want to say there was breaking news there where he did admit that he was wrong, that he wasn't as uh, tyrannical as he should have been. Continue, Mr. Houston. It's like listening to Trump give an apology for not being more inappropriate. It, it's just unbelievable. So anyway, so now you get to the point where, all right, things went really bad. The numbers are there. So at first he deflected and said, look at those other states because they played politics and now look at their numbers. They're all going up. And then their numbers came up and their numbers came down and it was a fraction of what happened in New York State. So everybody turned back to Governor Cuomo and goes, okay, now what? And now it's denial. It's outright. The nursing home data is not accurate. We haven't triple verified it yet, so we can't release the real number of people that died in nursing homes because, well, that could make us look bad. And now it's, uh, well, we had to, you know, you had to protect the hospitals, even though none of them got overwhelmed. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say none of them. Very, very few as a percentage of the overall healthcare system were at all overwhelmed in the capacity that we think of in healthcare. That doesn't mean the job's not stressful. It doesn't mean they're not full of capacity. They are, they were, and they had a very right, rough They were built, built for that kind of stuff, Correct. right? And they never, that those systems were in place, were never jeopardized. Right. We had so many other options that we could have utilized before we hit overwhelming the healthcare system. Sure. So now you're at the point where Andrew Cuomo is, he can't accept any fault, but he still genuinely views himself as the hero of this story. Hence why you write a book at what is apparently halftime. I'm, I'm still confused by that. So for those that don't know, Cuomo's got a book deal to which he will not disclose the financial incentives and will not say whether or not it was approved by an ethics committee. So that's not weird at all. Um, but And then he tweets the next day that the pandemic's not over. This is halftime. Yeah, well, what? I mean, he's he's got how to keep everybody distracted away from what really was the problem was is his mismanagement of this right um in conjunction with several other uh governors across the the, the northeast primarily in california um, out there on the west but uh you may guys have heard us talk about this over and over again where these uh, uh governors and actually they were i i feel like I, I let you know about this i was made aware that uh some congressional committee on the coronavirus cri- crisis sent a letter to these governors asking them for I think, quote unquote, was a granular detail on their science and their methodology about enacting this order where they mandated these nursing home facilities take on positive patients, all the while prohibiting them from testing them to keep them from knowing actually what the real count for uh, uh, positive patients was in their facilities. So the few weeks leading up to these orders, which were all at the end of March and you know, primarily the first few weeks of these existing orders was when the primarily the largest spike in deaths occurred. It's not, to me, any kind of coincidence that that's there. I, I feel like there's too much, it makes way too much sense for that to be the cause or at least a primary cause of the increased deaths in those facilities. And for Cuomo to come out what it was, I don't know, a week and a half ago and boast about his 35th ranking when he full well knows that that number was not number. It was a low number and he knows that number's higher. And for him to go out there and brag and be again, taking victory laps, like he's some kind of hero when he knows that his number is distortedly lower than it should be. And it's probably number one is just a bullface lie in his point. Right. So right. It kind of infuriates me that he is basically riding this white horse thinking that he's some hero when it's his actions that may have directly caused this whole pandemic. If the spike of deaths, sorry, Ben, if if the spike of deaths were 
where they were in that six to eight week period before in the beginning of this executive order uh, or these executive orders, then there's been nothing since then. There's been no additional spike. All we've had is a spread of a virus being a virus. And we knew all along we were supposed to protect these vulnerable elderly people and those handful of governors <laughs> threw caution to the wind and said, we're going to go against the grain and, and basically lit the match that was the brush fire of these nursing home deaths. Right. And I think, that, look, to go to your point, it's not that Andrew Cuomo alone caused it, but it's how big of an impact of these six, it was seven states, California rescinded their order after two days. So I, I'm not going to lump them in with the other six, but those six states that had this effect in place for weeks during the height of this and, and were really the drivers of the mortality, especially early on. If you didn't do that, all right, if you had those six states actually come out and handle this the way that I know I'm not allowed to say this, but that Florida did, that Texas did, that some of these states that should have had really negative results, but they didn't, that it's a virus. Obviously, it was going to be, it was never going to be perfect. But they didn't get to the levels that we did because they prioritize protecting the old and the sick. And that is who passes away from this in 90% of cases. If you see a mortality rate, 99% of the time, it is either somebody that was old, I mean, over the age of 80 old, or had some health condition. It's not that young, healthy people, despite the one-off scenarios that you'll read about in the papers that want to just glorify is the wrong word, but that really want to focus. scare the crap out of people is what they're trying to do. Right, and it's not true. It's just not backed up by the data. And now to go in further here, when we talk about how they're covering up the data, please understand, I have no issue how you want to count nursing home deaths. If you want to count it as if you get COVID in a nursing home and then go to a hospital and die, that's a hospital death and not a nursing home death, fine. We can use that data. There is logical, sound reasoning to back that up. Or if you want to say, hey, you got it in the nursing home, it doesn't matter where you die, that's a nursing home death. Great. Let's do it that way then. My issue is when you know the federal government and 49 states are all counting nursing home deaths as if you got it in a nursing home and you died, you're a nursing home death. And New York is the only state in the entire country that's not doing that to then use that data that you know is false as the justification for why your actions were good because look at how good your number is compared to everybody else. Seriously, how is this okay? Yeah, well, and I'm not even buying their excuse of, hey, we were waiting to, you know, we didn't want to double count the deaths. I'm like, so what? The other 49 states are incompetent. They're going to double count their deaths. Or does Cuomo have like three dudes in an abacus trying to figure out the fucking death toll and the, <laughs> sorry, and the death toll in the, in the, in the back office or something? What is, what is going on here? Why can't we count the deaths the same way? It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So here's the biggest problem in my opinion. It doesn't matter what the answer is. There's no way to spin it into a positive. Because because the executive order was in force for six weeks, and we don't know how many people died, but we sure know what the death curve looked like for those six weeks and the three weeks following, and it wasn't pretty. So knowing that full well is the case, let's go. There's, there's one of two things that happens. Either the nursing home deaths are extraordinarily higher and fit into the overall statistics of every other state that had this rule in effect and of the country as a whole which says nursing home deaths are going to account for 40 to 80% of your overall deaths. So either you fit into that, and now everybody looks at Andrew Cuomo and goes, your order killed people. It's it's unavoidable, it's inexcusable, it's indefensible. 
you can't deny this any longer. And that looks bad for him. The other half of that coin is, let's say that the number's close to right. 6,300 is actually 7,500. So obviously, it's more. We just don't know what. But let's say it's minimal more. Well, okay, out of 34,000 people dead, if only 7,500, I'm going to use rough math here and say, if only 20% of your deaths are nursing home deaths, and you have the highest death toll in the country, what in the world did you do wrong? Yeah, right. That no. makes less sense. Yeah, you That's worse. Right. No, nobody sees it that way, though, right? right? So it's just, again, it's just... If There's that's clearly true, distraction going on. I right. No, I listen, I totally. It's unfathomable how badly that, how much worse that actually means. Because, listen, I don't want to sound heartless, but when you're dealing with a pandemic that is specifically deadly to older, sick people, and then the numbers work out that 80% of your deaths came from that demographic or from nursing homes, which is made up of that demographic, it at least makes sense. If it turns out that we do have closer to a 50 50 ratio of people dying above 55 and below 55, that's a huge problem. That means we as a society, as a, whether it's the governor, the hospitals, the doctors, the health system, I don't know what, that means something else went terribly wrong. Right. And, and listen, I don't think it's that. I think it's I the other way around, right? I think it's closer to what Pennsylvania is dealing with, where they have 70% of their nursing home or their deaths are nursing home deaths. And if it's that number, then we're talking about 24,000 people-ish. So then what are we really, what are we locking down? What are we, what are we masking up for? Why, why are we staying six feet away? We should be just protecting the people who were dying. Like we know, we, we actually know who the people were who were vulnerable. We know the people who we should have been protecting. And we did that in this state specifically did the exact opposite of that. And that was all because of the, the, the governor and his executive order. So this uh, is the hubris. This is the ego. I'm going to save the day and I'm going to protect everyone. We will not allow the health system to be overwhelmed. We're not going to waste a good hospital bed on a nursing home patient when they're stable. Well, what if they're still contagious? Don't test and you can't say no. Go away. We got to have this hospital bed available. So you focus too much on the problem that was never really the threat. And so, so and I, I guess we're, we're beating a, 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 you know, over this over again, Listen, but wh- wh- how do we get out of here? Like wh- what's next here? Like he seems to be doubling down, you know, that he, he gets sued for gathering limit sizes, basically saying, Hey, you know, you can't do that. You, weddings are allowed. They can't be singled out as, um, you know, different than the, the general public. And you can't limit gathering sizes to 50 for a wedding. If you're going to have the ability to have a dining service the night before with a hundred plus people, he loses the, the, the lawsuit they get the wedding. He he files an. They get the fucking. They get an injunction anyway, and and, and ban him again. Right. So uh, he, now again, he's banning darts and cornhole and I, I, like I said, he's he's. I mean, I'm guessing most people can tell that I'm frustrated with this guy. Um, I I don't understand how more people aren't frustrated with him. Some of it is I feel like they don't know some of this, or they would be frustrated. Um. And some of that is, you know, where you're getting your information from. And I don't think this has been as well reported as it should have been. Uh, there's been more and more recently about it because there's been some real life politics going on about it, too, where there's, you know, Senate hearings, there's bipartisan call for an independent investigation into this. So they can't just bury it all the time and, and, and label it as some kind of uh, Republican attack or smear attack on, on, on the governor when it's not. It's, it's something that needs to be looked at and needs to be looked at now. Um, even though we're still in the middle of it or at halftime or whatever the, the, the analogy you want to use, there is no better time than the present than to start this investigation. So it needs to be going. It needs to be done. Um, I, you know, I, I can't imagine he cooperates all that well with whatever investigation unfolds here. Um, but of course not. 
the, the chips have to, I mean, something has to happen because, and I, and I don't know what the trigger is for the legislature to take back the assembly and the Senate here to kind of get together and be like, okay, we're not in a state of emergency anymore here. We need to take back the, the rule of law from what we have now, which is rule by executive order. It's not efficient. It's, it's, it's doing terrible damage to several communities that have no business being ruled by, by guys sitting in a desk in Albany. It inevitably leads to corruption and overrule. There's no getting around. There's no checks and balances. It's just whatever whim he feels like he goes with. Uh, And listen, I don't think we're beating a dead horse because I don't think most people know this is true. I know that I try to generally not fight with strangers on the internet over this kind of stuff, but I got, I got pulled in this morning and this guy was on somebody else's post. Is that why you were late? What? Is that why you were late? No, 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 no. Sorry, go ahead. It was something else. Um, But I, I, I just, the guy put a comment on about somebody else's post like, you're spreading Republican lies. Everybody that left the hospital in New York had to have a negative COVID test. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. So naturally, I was like, there's no way anybody could still believe this. So I engaged. And this guy then said, you're wrong, and here it is. So I, here's the executive order. Here's the news articles. Here's the breakdown. Here's why they're still covering it up. And this guy literally responded to me in the last post and said, well, mistakes were made. But I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Mistakes. That's where, not the fact that you're wrong, that what you believed is fundamentally untrue, and you just bought it hook, line, and sinker. The far, I guess it's progress, because at least now you could acknowledge that it wasn't perfect. I but guess. at some point, I don't understand. If people understood how bad this was, they would be indignant. The fact that this guy is still walking around on a victory lap is unfathomable. The fact that this guy has the balls to come out and say, there's no such thing as an in- independent investigator that would be good with both Republicans and He's Democrats. writing a book. Right. Like, I mean, this is as the poster deal. wasn't like some kind of signal that this guy was off his rocker, he's now writing a book as if, like, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm done with this dude. I'm ready to impeach Cuomo anytime. I can't wait for 2022 so I can basically support anybody anybody. else well not anybody else i I already know who i'm supporting because i already i'm not going to break any news here but fair enough um let's uh i don't know anything else you want to touch on covid new york nonsense cornhole i mean dancing i'm sure there's going to be some dancing protests here there's zero doubt that i have that there will eventually be some kind of underground speakeasy cornhole tournament there's going to be some stuff going on here i'll be in on it too because you could dance if you want to yeah you can leave your friend. No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't help myself. On Don't that get us banned. <laughs> um, uh, listen, one other point on it, and it's the idea that masks back in March, like that's Cuomo's acknowledgement that he did something wrong. Shut up. Honest to God. Number one, there was a shortage of masks back in March. That's why Dr. Fauci came out and said, you don't need masks, everybody. Don't wear masks. They're not going to do anything anyway unless you're a medical professional. Then he came out later and was like, I lied. Uh, They needed him, but I was afraid of overwhelming it. And then the next day came out and said, I don't understand why there's this anti-science, anti-authority bias in America. Yeah, it's a mystery, Dr. Fauci. Nobody can crack that code. Number two, masks are so unproven as an effective means of stopping the threat. India has had a mask mandate in effect since April 21st, and they are fining people 500 rubies, rubles, rubles per day for not wearing a mask. Every instance, that's like what somebody earns in a day in the country, and that's the fine. So believe me, the compliance is high. Have you looked at their numbers recently? They're through the roof as far as cases and spread. You know where their numbers are fantastic compared to every other country? deaths per million. New York has 1,684 deaths per million of population. America as a whole has about 570 deaths per million. India has 42 
deaths per million. It ain't because they got such better health care. I can tell you that. Almost as though their prophylactic treatments with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc might have some effect. I don't know. Maybe it's just their world-renowned 145th ranked healthcare system in the world. Maybe that's why the answer is, why their cases are through the roof, but death counts are astronomically lower than every other comparable place. This is maddening to me. I mean, you probably don't know what the Kalasa Temple is in India, but if you ever saw that, that's the most impressive thing you've ever seen in India, I promise you. I can't wait to go to India. (laughs) I would love to go, and I will someday. But yeah, the mask thing is... It's crazy. And now the IHME came out with another study. That's, and I saw it today on the homepage for Bing. Don't judge me. I don't know how to change it. But it came up and said, uh, new study concludes or proves or something like that, that if everybody would start wearing masks, we would save 70,000 lives by the end of the year. And all I can think is, how many things do you have to get wrong before people stop listening to you? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. How well, many times? We haven't reached it yet, right? So we haven't got that, we haven't reached that threshold yet. And How? it's still disappointing. How? This is the same I, group that thought that mad cow disease was going to kill a million people. Well, it killed like 40. Like I mean, it was, it was unimaginable flawed well, we data. A, listen, yeah, we, there's always something to scare us. But um, stop listening to these people. Yeah, stop watching your news. I tell that to everybody all the time. So let's, okay, Sorry. so let's start talking about what I find was, I don't know. One of my most fascinating guests that I'll probably ever interview. Um, hopefully, it won't be the first time or the or it is the first time. Hopefully, it won't be the last time. Um, ben Davidson joined us today or yesterday, sorry, and we're going to replay that interview for you today. Um, he is the founder of Suspicious Observers uh, YouTube channel, and he has the uh, uh, space uh, suspiciousobservers.org and... <coughs> And several other websites that he runs, uh, QuakeWatch.net, um, SpaceWeatherNews.com, they're all in here. So this dude has endless information available. Um, <clears throat> it takes a lot of uh, – I've had to go back and look up words and figure out exactly what he's talking about sometimes. <clears throat> but the, the, the information is great. So um, we're going to play this interview. Uh, Mr. Hussong, do you have any – Thoughts about the interview that we conducted yesterday? I know you were uh, in travel and... Oh, no, I was, uh, I was situated for most of it. I was just in travel so, in the beginning. So, I mean, I know this is relatively new to you as far as uh, being exposed to some of this stuff other than just through me. Um, so, what, what did you have? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Questions? I find it to be fascinating. I mean, talking to the guy, obviously, he's very smart. I don't, I, he... How easily he discusses these concepts and how second nature it is is reassuring i guess for lack of a better word of i as far as all right you have to have some frame of knowledge or you're the greatest con man ever right like there's a there's a free flowing there's no need to structure a conversation like you can take it any which way and he'll tell you why he's taking it that way and it's what i always find intriguing about this is when i hear something that it first hits me that it doesn't make sense whether it's the idea of space weather and the sun is causing earthquakes or if it's that the sun is the driver of of the climate differences and Anything like, I mean, to the Flat Earth Society, like anything I hear that my instinct is to go, it doesn't make sense. I try my best to respond instead by going, you know, I, I'm not aware of that. Why do you think that? I try to start every conversation with the assumption that the person I am speaking to is not a moron. So by doing that, I like to go and say, all right, give me the information and I won't write you off. Some people 
are going to hear this information and they're going to want to write it off. It's that simple because it does directly contradict some of the things that we sort of take for granted as true, especially people that aren't in the scientific or meteorological, man, that word sucks. In that world, we may not know, all right? And and this is going to fly directly in the face of it, and I would encourage you of if something that he says sounds wrong, he gives you websites, he gives you stuff to look at, go look. There's no harm in getting more information And just keep in mind how many things throughout our history as human beings the scientific consensus has been wrong on in hindsight. It's a most regular occurrence known to man is that we get it wrong. So by hearing these ideas and then looking into them and starting to figure out a little bit more of what he's saying, and it may not, you may end up concluding that, all right, well, this guy's full of it and whatever else. I mean, I think you're wrong, but great. At least look into it because it is fascinating from a subject line. It is, it's just a different way of thinking that I think we yeah. need more of. I, I don't like dogma. I don't like the idea of settled science in anything of like, no, that's not how science works. You keep asking, keep proving, keep evolving. Yeah. And because we're getting so much new information in regards to space through our basically new satellites are, are being launched every seemingly every year, if not every month of every year. So there's new data collection tools out there that will, should, if you're, you know, trying to find answers, should allow you to reevaluate your current positions when you get that new data. And that's what this gentleman does probably better than anybody. Um, You know, he, I would say it's primarily focused on the idea that we live in a plasma universe as opposed to a vacuum uh, that is space. And, his research surrounds the idea of that plasma with electric currents and magnetism and how that drives the universe, the galaxies, our solar system, and even just interactions between the sun and the earth ourselves. So, um, again, I, I, I stumbled about this guy maybe in 2012 ish. Um, he's up to 476,000 YouTube subscribers. Uh, you'll, uh, we, we touch on it a little bit in the interview. He was attacked his specifically his website and a, and a handful of others were attacked by, um, a congressional committee on climate change, basically asking Google to take him down. But conveniently, one of his, uh, protégés, a high school student won the Google science championship using his data and basically Google left him alone. So, um, just to give you some validation on some of his work that it's, if, I think that if, as you said, if he was full of it, I think he wouldn't have 476,000 subscribers that seem to be mostly with a with a, a lot of science background. You know, he talks about how many people have joined his uh, um, uh, website and become members that have uh, either uh, NASA or JPL uh, email addresses on them. So pe- people who know this are paying attention to his work as well. And it's, again, you know, I'm just a bartender, but I find it super fascinating. And then you know, that's just on the earthquakes and climate stuff. And then he kind of finishes off with, uh, I don't know, I want to call it the end of the world because I feel like there's, this has happened over and over again. He calls it the cycle of catastrophe for a reason, uh, because this is a recurring event that he thinks happens, uh, on the sun that affects the earth in a cataclysmic way, um, about every 12,000 years, uh, we're about 12,000 years from the last one. So, uh, he tries to paint a picture of what it could look like, uh, this, uh, event, this cycle of catastrophe and, 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 
you know, we've survived these in the past because we're still hitting, sitting here talking about it. So um, it may not be a complete annihilation event but or extinction event, but it could bring us down, as he pointed out in the interview, down to something like 100, you know, breeding females. So that's pretty scary. Yeah, it is scary, and it's a... You don't know the exact time of anything. It's roughly 12,000 years when you're talking right. about... He actually says ten to 15,000 years right. in, in the interview, but we 12,000 is a very... There, there's other reasons to, to use that 12,000 number, but yeah, he, he does approximate it. We'll ease into this. So here's the thing. Give it a listen. He's a very interesting guy, and if nothing else, I found it to be very eye-opening from the standpoint of how many things I just took for granted that I knew about, whether it's black holes, expanding universe, uh, dark matter, whatever else. Of Oh, yeah, well, this is obviously, that's what they're saying, so it's true. And then you find out, as I started to do more research, it's not necessarily that it's false, but it's the idea that it's conclusive is a flawed assumption. Right. So uh, you come away with more answers, or excuse me, with more questions, I think that's a win. Because I think as a society, we have gotten away from this mindset to just ask more questions, to just yeah. say... Wait, why? What about this? How about that? Could it be this? And I think that is such a detriment to our advancement as a species and a society is whenever somebody official looking tells us something and you just nod along, that's not good. We should continue to ask questions, listen to the experts, respect the experts. But that doesn't mean you have to file blind dogma to anything anybody says. It has never worked well for a religion. It has never worked well for a country. Let's not repeat the process now. Well said. And that's a real quick reminder that next week, Onondaga County Executive Ryan McMahon is going to join us for our first live interview. I'm going to need some practice working on this live stuff to make sure that we all can hear each other and, and communicate well. So wish I'll me be luck, early wish next me luck week. on that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so, but, so listen to this interview tonight. This is, or today, this is uh, obviously a, a kind of a, a deviation from our normal show, but I find it super fascinating. And then next week, we're back right on to uh, local politics with County Executive Ryan McMahon. So please enjoy the interview, and uh, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. I'm excited to welcome to the show an extremely committed researcher. He's the founder of the Mobile Observatory Project, the organizer of the yearly Observing the Frontier Conference, the man behind spaceweathernews.com, magneticreversal.org, and quakewatch.net. He's the author of Weatherman's Guide to the Sun, the creator of the Disaster Prediction app, and the operator of Suspicious Observer's YouTube channel with, today I checked, 476,000 subscribers. Ladies and gentlemen, the earthquake whisperer himself, Mr. Ben Davidson. Mr. Davidson, thank you for taking some time out for our little program here, and I want to welcome you to Sports, Clicks, and Politics. Thank you very much for uh, that wonderful introduction. And that's also a new nickname. I'm going to have to steal that one. <laughs> well, it's deserving. I mean, you are a very busy man. Um, like I said, all, all, all that information out there, a lot of data to digest. So um, let's get right into this. Um, let's talk earthquakes here. Let's start here. Uh, that seems to be uh, something that you've touched on a lot recently, um, in large part because I feel like you're getting some let's call it institutional validation of some of the work. Uh, so let's, let's talk earthquakes and why does the sun trigger earthquakes? Sure. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, everybody knows there's water in the ground, there's crystal in the ground and the rock, and there's a lot of metal. All of these things are very reactive to what they call electromagnetic force. Uh, this is obvious to folks if they know how a magnet works with metal. 
um, or if uh, they know anything about static electricity and how that can, uh, you know, make things move, uh, attract things, make your hair stand up. All of these things can apply to the Earth's crust as a whole, depending on the different electromagnetic environment and inputs that the sun is giving it. And so we're talking electricity here, yeah? So basically, yes. That's so is that coming from inside of the planet, outside of the planet? Like where where is the electricity if there's a uh, an origin of it? Where you know, what what are we looking for? How wh- what is the the genesis of the electricity that's triggering these earthquakes? I mean, is it a external force? So there, there is uh, electricity uh, just sort of uh, germane to the earth. I mean, you know that if you've ever seen a lightning storm. Uh, but in terms of what the sun does is the sun can actually excite what is there. So kind of like taking, uh, you know, a bunch of juice that's in a bottle and shaking it up. You haven't added any juice, but you've sure created a lot of bubbles inside of that canister, haven't you? You've really shaken things up. And in addition to shaking up what's already here, uh, exciting it is, is, is the term you'd use if you're talking about energy. But it's also injecting that energy in the form of protons, electrons, uh, and, you know, even some, some of the heavier particles, which are more rare. And essentially, all of these uh, are, are integrating into the Earth systems in various ways. For those who know that Earth has a magnetic shield around the planet called the magnetosphere, so, uh, some of the energy is caught in that and funneled towards the polar region. Some gets through that and hits the top of the atmosphere where there's actually a lot of charged particles, and uh, it sort of trickles down that way. And so all of these things uh, can really add to the Earth system and excite the Earth system. And we see this manifested um, as breakpoints in, in various layers. So we can see uh, whenever these things really manifest and accumulate in the atmosphere, we see weather effects as well. Uh, but when they're able to really accumulate in the crust and uh, there's either an overaccumulation or too rapid of a change, uh, that's when you can see the water, the crystal, and the metal underground really begin to react to that. And so how does that play into predictions of earthquakes? Um, you've been uh, quite a history, and I believe some of the uh, observer followers of yours have been very successful at predicting some of the larger earthquakes on the, on the planet. So how, how does all that information that we're receiving from this uh, elect- electricity f- factor of the earthquakes being used in predictions? Well, um, so there's two sides to this. There's when's something big going to happen? You know, when is today going to be the day when uh, it's not just, oh, we have our regular random earthquakes, but today there was a big one somewhere. Things like that are knowable when you can tell, all right, is the sun giving us a ton of energy during that period? But then you have to figure out, okay, well, what part of the world is, is most likely to have this earthquake? And that's where things are are still progressing towards the finish line. I'd say they're about halfway there right now. What we can do is um, using a lot of the electricity that is showing up in the atmosphere, uh, which can take the form of not only just lightning storms, but of how the, the high and low pressure cells sit and how strong they are and how they move around. And so just literally high and low pressure watching those things can really tell us where Earth's energy is surging the most. Um, And you can oftentimes uh, use some other satellite imagery. Uh, They have a certain 
measure that shows how much infrared radiation, how much infrared heat is coming off of the different areas of the planet. And you can oftentimes use that as well. And then, of course, there are force shock patterns, which are less about electricity and more about the fact that you know, every time you want to throw a baseball in one direction, you got to cock your arm back unless you've got some kind of magic. And so if you think about an earthquake in that way, you know, an earthquake is like throwing the ball. You got to cock the arm back. You probably got to lift up your lead leg to sort of create that, you know, built up energy around your core. I mean, it's literally not until the very end of it that that ball goes flying. There's a bunch of things that happen in your shoulder, your elbow, and your wrist in between that too, actually. And so that's how you could really think of the physical force shocks. Um, there are patterns, and we have learned to spot a number of these patterns. Yes, we have had a lot of help from computer learning and spotting some of these patterns, but we had to spot some of them first and say, all right, computer, this is what you're looking for in the data. So um, yeah, it's, 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 really, it, it's really kind of like that. And, and I've had your uh, prediction app since the uh, beginning, too. So I have it. My brother lives in the Philippines, so I'm constantly basically trying to uh, use him as a test run on whether or not he can feel certain earthquakes in certain areas as they're around there. It's it's interesting that certain parts he cannot feel them at all, and other parts similar in, in magnitude, he can feel them significantly more. So it's it's interesting. But um, Yes, yes. You you mentioned that, that there have been people who have been doing this, so... Um, yeah, there are a couple of professors and one NASA scientist who have really gotten good at this. Uh, but also there's a guy who is a chef at a university lunchroom in Tennessee, I think. Uh, he's very good at this. And the guy who's probably best of all is a uh, fisherman slash farmer who lives in L.A. Uh, you know, or, you know, just outside of L.A. He, he fishes. Uh, he actually uh, helps sell farming equipment. And uh, he's the best earthquake predictor in the world uh, in terms of using this oh, well, that, that I've ever seen. I guess there's hopes for me, like guys like me, who's a bartender then. I guess I, I probably would fit right into there if I uh, would, would focus on the efforts that they have done. So, um, so the, go yeah, ahead. Absolutely. I was going to say absolutely. Everything is at quakewatch.net. And that's where, I mean, literally in just, uh, just about an hour, you can learn how to predict earthquakes. And like I said, anybody can do it. And all, they are. Excellent. So, and just kind of, maybe this is uh, something I should have started with first, because we've talked about electricity and magnetism here. What, what is our sun, actually? I know, you know, back in, I guess, earth science, I was, I was told it was a big ball of fusion, uh, you know, and it's just going to uh, burn out someday. But I don't think that's necessarily fits with what we're talking about here. If there's a, um, we haven't mentioned what I think you've alluded to, the, the global electric circuit. So if, if, what is the sun in your estimation, um, and how is it different than what I was taught in ninth grade? Right. So um, we know a lot more about the fourth phase of matter called plasma now. And uh, I don't want to get too into chemistry or physics with this, but essentially um, the sun is such an energetic ball out there in space that for the most part atoms have been ripped apart into their protons and their electrons and what atoms uh, are strong enough to remain you know some of the iron it's not regular iron it's been stripped of most of its electrons and so it's got a strongly positive charge it's missing all those little negative bits um, there's a lot of guesses about what goes on underneath 
there's a lot of assumptions about how it works. Really, the more we get into detail, the more we're finding that we've got one question answered and three new questions about the real nature of our star. And so we know there's a whole ton of plasma. There is evidence for some of the more condensed phases of of matter, so almost like liquid plasma, uh, as opposed to just being a ball of gas. It very much acts as though it has a real surface, like something solid or something liquid, as opposed to that ball of gas. And so uh, many, many mysteries are coming up about the sun, and um, it's it's a time that I never would have imagined could, could exist uh, go, having to go back and rethink so many things just by getting a new observatory or a new satellite. Uh, something tells me that within a few years we're going to be rewriting a tremendous amount of science. And I, don't, I don't think that you would be accepted still, but if my memory serves right, you started maybe trying to pursue a meteorology career, and if so, if you had all the information you had now and you could enter that program today, would you still think you would have success? Not that you would bother trying to go through that, so, but... Uh, the problem is I had what, what we're getting today. What was required of me was that I acquiesce, was that I do exactly what the professor did when he was in college and then do exactly what, you know, eight... 10-year-old weather models were doing and you know I every time I would bring up some new paper or some new study that would say hey look this is a real thing we should be using this um, that was just not something the professor wanted to hear the concept that the professor didn't know and you know multiple professors didn't know everything about the weather and weather forecasting despite how often they got it wrong was just an unacceptable proposition to their minds in general and so i ended up uh, getting in so many fights with them and they numerous times suggested i find a different major i found a different university and yet somehow managed to find my way right back into uh, earth sciences so, sounds like a man of persistence so very, very, very credit to you, I guess. Um, and uh, just on a side personal note, I've, I've thought about asking you this question. What would, if you were, uh, I don't know, Al Roker, and you were uh, hosting the weather on NBC News today or whatever the uh, morning show is back in the day, and you could actually give the data and information that you thought was important to the people for the day, is there such a thing that you could incorporate from the space weather into a daily forecast and be like, hey, this is what you should be paying attention to as far as your weather? Absolutely. And uh, I also think that in this regard, it would be the weatherman's job to say whenever it was earthquake weather and whenever there were overall earth conditions that, you know, are shown to have higher rates of stroke, of heart attack, of uh, all kind of mental and psychiatric uh, disease, whether that's episodes of hospitalizable depression and anxiety or it's um, increased number of uh, people who have reportable events in a psychiatric ward, something like that. Autoimmune diseases are, are related to this. Uh, everything from uh, how how hard is that hailstorm going to be to how how many tornadoes do we expect from this storm to, you know, could this thing turn into a derecho? Where, you know, what are the chances that the precipitation that the computer is guessing is going to occur is an underestimate, and we're going to have major flooding. You know, is this hurricane really going to stay on this slightly uh, westward track, or is it going to bend north into somewhere? If it's kind of going north, could it do what Hurricane Sandy did and, and go back the other way? All of these things 
um, from the earthquakes and whether or not your region is looking like it's it's at high risk to the effects on what the computer models are thinking that your forecast is going to be uh, and how you would tweak that based on uh, what the sun is doing. Uh, it would literally take into account so many of these. Th- I mean, there are certain days when I would be able to say, um, hey, there's a much bigger chance of you having cell phone uh, problems today. There's a much better chance of there being uh, internet outages today. There's a much better chance of, of any number of, of of things like that. There's a much better chance of there being significant uh, delays in airline computer systems that are nationwide, things like that. Uh, all of this stuff is in the future of, of weather reports. And it all they need to do is begin to use the data that they already get and apply the science that has already been peer-reviewed and published. The problem is you've literally got 15 different fields of science converging on this thing. And, you know, the people in these different fields at the same university don't talk to each other, let alone all across the world. And um, it's really sort of a hodgepodge. And you you really can't master uh, or, or be a professor-level expert in 15 different fields, um, which is what they really need right now. And um, I am not a professor level in 15 different fields, but I'm probably a postgraduate level in all of those different fields with ever, without ever having taken the time to you know, literally become professor level in one of them. Uh, I'm just highly proficient in a number of these other ones to the point where not only can I see the patterns between them, uh, which a lot of which are in that book that I can see sitting on your desk right there. Um, but, uh, you know, middle school classes uh, engage uh, with me on Skype on a regular basis. There's a couple of them out west and one down south, actually. And th- the kids can see these patterns in, in the data. And it's interesting with some of them, especially with, you know, sixth graders, the really young ones. You, know, you do have to start with saying, hey, look at this line. This is showing you what happens at night and day, you know, something they already know and understand. This is how much light there is, and then at night it goes down. And Or you could say this is how hot it is, and it's really hot in the middle of the day. And they can understand literally within 20 to 30 minutes what they're looking at within some of these patterns. And then you get to high school and, and some of the universities I work with, and these 16, these 17-year-old kids are – crushing it absolutely crushing it there's one who discovered uh one of the now six major correlations between uh, a solar feature called a coronal hole basically it, it causes the solar the all those particles that that i said were coming out of the sun it causes them to come much faster than they normally would those protons the electrons etc he found a correlation between those and the number of tropical cyclones and whether you're talking about tropical storms, hurricanes, uh, Indian Ocean cyclones or a West Pacific uh, typhoon. All those things could be called tropical cyclones or tropical storms. He found this amazing connection and he actually won the 2017 National High School Science Championship uh, doing that. So um, this stuff is – it's there and it's actually easy to understand. The problem is 
because of how science is just this monster right now, it's literally like you have to find needles in a haystack or little gray hairs on a polar bear spread around its back. You know, they all look white to you from, from, from way out here. Um, but if you know where those little gray hairs are supposed to be and you can pick them out and you can find them and when you have hundreds of thousands of people that are helping you search the internet and search journals, which is what we have now. This isn't just like people sitting there with their finger up their nose being entertained by something on their screen. These people, I mean, you have to come ready to have your mind very, very entertainingly and amusingly challenged. And um, it's a lot of fun. And for the people who get engaged, they find that they're able to contribute and help create this massive picture that now goes from everything from, you know, the the cosmological physics of the universe down to how does the sun trigger earthquakes, things like that. So and, and we and that was awesome. And the um, and we kind of danced around it a little bit, but climate forcing was one of the uh, movies that you put out uh, and I would encourage everybody to go check out the three movies on his YouTube um, page. They were very informative um, and excellent, excellent done. I'm not sure if that's all your work, Mr. Davidson, but those videos are excellent. Um, The climate forcing is something that I feel like is probably maybe the most divisive part of your research um, in large part because there's so much political investment in one result being the right result, um, and your research kind of flies in the face of that. So let's jump into climate specifically. I know we touched on tropical storms and, and the high school science champion, um, but let's start with Congress coming after you about your climate report. I believe there was a maybe a small handful of Congress people, Congress critters, and who tried to get you removed, your platform removed. Is that correct? Yeah, it was the... It was the Congressional Select Committee on Climate Change. They identified mine and a couple other channels uh, and asked Google to delete them. And uh, Google being YouTube, right. uh, as, as they own YouTube. Um, it was a, a wonderful moment against censorship as, uh, while technically they said nothing, essentially Google was saying, you are not going to tell us what to do. And, um, of course, my channel never went down. Uh, but that's just, of course, uh, one of the things you have to deal with when you say what I say. And what's interesting is, is people like uh, the politicians on that congressional committee or the professors who continue to take millions and millions of dollars and then just pander to the National Science Foundation and the media um, is that the way I start all of this is by saying, look, we can have both. We can have our environmental goals and we can get the science right. I not only favor less pollution, but I favor um, retroactive cleanup uh, measures. I, fa- I favor stronger penalties for those who actually you know, have spills and, and who actually pollute. This is the one atmosphere, the one water system, and the one soil system we have to live on. And uh, we can't poison it. But that being said, most of the stuff they talk about affecting climate change has absolutely nothing to do with climate change at all. And um, so if we can just put our environmentalist hat uh, that is nice and and pressed back in the bag for a minute, uh, essentially there was this idea uh, that carbon was was the bad guy and it's still being pushed and still being pushed. And if you actually look in the journals, you can see the 
the face beginning to crack on that one. I don't know if it's months away or a couple of years away, but they're starting to figure it out and starting to turn the Titanic. You know, this is not a jet ski of a field of science that they can just whip around in, you know, in no time and go another direction. They are starting to turn the Titanic already. And um, you see this not only in uh, some of the papers that come out, but the fact that there are universities that are using that textbook. Uh, Weatherman's Guide to the Sun. There are um, major uh, geophysical conferences like the one from the American Geophysical Union that are now dedicating significant amounts of time and attention and respect, therefore, to how the sun works the weather. And they're mostly coming down to the conclusion that this idea they had where the primary solar input to the Earth climate system was light energy you know, visible light, ultraviolet light, things like that. Boy, is that incorrect. It's those protons and electrons and how the sun can actually excite what's already down here, shaking up the juice bottle. And that's really the, the direction it's moving. And um, what it really says is, while everybody seems to be looking one direction in the climate crystal ball, this cold princess is sneaking up behind us, and when the wool goes over our eyes, it's going to happen so quickly, nobody's going to have any idea what happened. Well, let me tell you what's happened so far. <clears throat> From about the 1940s to about 2005, we had the strongest solar activity in 12,000 years since the solar activity that actually brought us out of the last ice age. And... In addition to that, we had the lowest cooling from volcanoes. And by the way, they cool by blasting stuff into the upper atmosphere, which reflects sunlight, blocks it from getting to the ground. And it's the same idea, volcanic winter, nuclear winter. You put a bunch of stuff in the upper atmosphere. The sunlight can't get down here. We all freeze. Um, we are at a thousand-year low for volcanic cooling. And as if those two things – Occurring, you know, the record high solar activity uh, since the last uh, ice age, combined with the low volcanic cooling, wasn't enough happening during the period of global warming. But Earth's magnetic field that I mentioned, it is failing right now. It is in the process of going through a once every 10 to 15,000 year event, and uh, it is it has been letting in much more of that solar energy as well. This has been the most unbelievable trifecta of warming that you could ever ask for on a planet, um, apart from you know some, some giant alien coming with a Jupiter-sized lighter and setting it on fire. Um, this is unfathomable. And the thing is, they are all um, about to shift gears into a different direction because the sun is coming out of its grand maximum phase and it's very much descending into a grand minimum phase which should happen probably in about 10 or 20 years it should get down to that min that grand minimum level and it's probably going to stay there for 20 to 40 years now that's going to drop the amount of solar energy that's that's coming in but it's also going to allow what they call cosmic rays and all you really need to know is this would be from things like supernova far away those tiny little particles that, that you know make it all the way through space, well, 
those are coming at us from all directions, from supernova, from the birth of stars, from collisions of, of stars and other things like that. Basically, the universe is filled with these things flying in all directions. And because they are, again, electromagnetic, um, think of it as, as if you put two north or two south poles of a magnet together. They'll actually push apart. When the sun is really active, that electromagnetic energy pushes out or keeps out a lot of the cosmic particles from the galaxy and other galaxies. When the sun's not doing its job, we see those particles surge on the Earth. And we do know that when those actually break all the way through the atmosphere and get to the mantle, they excite silica-rich magma, which is most of the explosive volcanoes on this planet. So one of the reasons we probably had such low volcanic activity is because the sun was blasting so hard. And here's the other thing. When it's those cosmic rays that are coming in and not the solar energy, which tends to produce heat, those cosmic rays tend to produce clouds. If you've ever heard of a cosmic ray cloud chamber, a lot of students get to play with those in classes nowadays. And so one of them causes heat and the other one causes cold. And so we've basically gone from super high solar energy, super low volcanic cooling, with more of that super high energy coming into Earth to now we are transitioning to less solar energy, more excitement for the volcanoes, which, by the way, throughout history have never shown uh, periods where they sleep forever. And all at the same time, that those cosmic particles that are coming in cool the planet with reflective clouds. This is coming up on us this century. I mean, most people listening to the show, certainly our children, are going to be dealing with a much colder world. And people, most people aren't going to have any idea what ha- what hit them, what happened to this planet. Yeah, I, we, I live in, I don't know if you know, I live in Syracuse, New York, so I feel like I'm at the, uh, I don't know if the epicenter is the right word, but I feel like I should be moving it uh, between now and the next 10 years. So that would be a fair assessment on your part? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you guys do some good uh, snow studies. Uh, <laughs> well, for sure. I guess lemon lemonade thing, I feel like is a joke in there or something. Uh, you know, that's what we deal with. So, um, <laughs> Mr. Hughesong. So after hearing uh, a little bit of Mr. Davidson's um, uh, data here as a, as a newbie, as your self-proclaimed newbie here, wh- what questions would you have as somebody who's being exposed to a large amount of this for the very first time about either earthquakes or climate? What so questions would you have? First thing I want to do is, is yeah, I, I want to back up a step um, and Earlier you mentioned how the sun and the, the whatever's coming in from space can help indicate higher levels of health issues, immunocompromised, whatever it might be. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, most people know that uh, or at least have some general idea that your brain activity sending signals throughout your body is an electrical process through your neurons. But there's actually twice the electric power in your cardiac system uh, with your heart. Um Almost everything that happens in your body uh, requires what they call an ion channel. This is why electrolytes are so important. Electro is the important word there. Um, These are all things that help your muscles move, help your heart pump, help help a cell know what's supposed to come in, what, uh, what is supposed to go out, the energy needed to pull things in, to push waste out to send blood, to carry oxygen, literally everything we're talking about, everything that makes you you and makes you live requires an electromagnetic component. And when the electromagnetic environment 
of yours changes. Um, this can have a major effect. This is no different from say, oh, um, you know, I got too much sunlight. Now I have a sunburn or, oh, I, I, you know, spend too much time living under power lines and working with, you know, high energy wires. I got, you know, radiation induced cancer, something like that. It's not all that different. If you get hit by lightning, that's an electric event. It's, it can stop your heart. It can start it again. They'll they'll blast you with the human version of lightning to try to start your heart again if your heart stops in the hospital. All of these things can really tell you just how electromagnetic and how dependent you are. If you know anything about sports, you understand um, you know how important electrolytes are, and uh, or at least you've heard that you need them. You know, when you're trying to refuel or when you're trying to, you know, get the gas back in the tank. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why, honestly, the difference between, you know, something like Gatorade and water, what they noticed at the University of Florida back then, it wasn't just the energy, it was the injuries. It was a drop in injuries, you know, simply because their muscles had the, had all the things they needed to do what they wanted to do. And so um, everything from the beat of your heart to a cell doing what it's supposed to do is all based on electromagnetism, all of it. I see. And so the activity, the electromagnetic activity from the sun then has a direct impact, or I guess not direct impact, that might be overstating it. No, but you're actually pretty accurate. So some of these particles can directly come in and directly interact. The light from the sun certainly comes in and directly affects your skin. Uh, it oh, also, I'm Irish, it, so yeah, affects, no, it, it gets me really good. Yeah, it also affects melatonin production. But the, the other thing is when the sun really gives the earth a good whack with a solar flare and a coronal mass ejection, the kind of thing that lights up the northern lights, the auroras, it is also doing a number of other things. Whatever side of the sun or whatever side of the earth is facing the sun at the time when it hits, they're having an increased number of electrons pushed down through the atmosphere. Everywhere on Earth is having an increase in the amount of electric current that is running through the atmosphere. Everywhere on Earth, uh, provided you are on the ground and on the surface, is subject to a change in the low-frequency radiation of the planet. The, the magnetic field, when it gets dinged, our magnetic shell resonates, and it, it changes the, the natural um, uh, electromagnetic frequencies that we're living in. And so all of these things end up coming through and we directly interact with them. Uh, a good number of these things are that electric current that I mentioned and the magnetic field resonance, which is again in, in the ULF, the ELF, the VLF, the, the low frequency ranges. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is, you know, start start looking through some journals or even Googling, you know, ULF, VLF, ELF, and human health, and you start to realize, wait a minute, the sun's basically just got a tuner, and, you know, based on how strong it hits us, that's how far we deviate from natural, and all these things are what we live in day to day, and so uh, you got, you know, a few people walking together in a group, yeah, chances are you're not going to really notice the whole thing, but when you've got millions of people uh, you know, in a country and you've got millions of data points, you start to see, wait a minute, these types of events are going up on these days. Is this random or is there something happening? And they've known about these random surges in event days for, you know, over a century. 
but it really wasn't until some Russian studies about two or three decades ago, and which didn't really start in this country uh, until about a decade ago, uh, they're starting to realize that, wait a minute, all of these problems can be explained by changing electromagnetic environment. It's like they all got hit by mini lightning at the same time. It's like they were all in a radio cavity exposed to the same uh, electromagnetic frequencies at the same time. All of these things are, are noticeable now that we have better data systems and more people to get data from. And they're noticing that, yeah, these things really do affect our health. And it's one of the reasons that the disaster prediction app exists. In addition to notifying about earthquakes, which most people turn off because there's too many earthquakes on the planet every day to keep up with. But it tells you when there's solar flares. It tells you when there's, you know, when the planet's magnetic field got hit by the sun. And it also, uh, to my knowledge, is the only space weather or solar driven health alert system in the world. And so uh, those times when people who are in sensitive groups are at high risk, if you got the app, you're going to know about it. And believe it or not, just knowing about it uh, can help you, you know, feel your way through a situation. You know, a lot of times when you have anxiety, for example, a lot of times you don't even know why you feel anxious. But if you can easily just sort of say, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> I just got this alert about what I'm feeling on my phone. Let me look myself in the mirror and know I got this. The placebo effect works. It really does. It takes out billion-dollar drugs at the FDA level every year. And if, if you think about what the placebo effect really is, um, th there's no reason for what happens. You didn't actually take any medication. You didn't actually take the thing. It's just your brain thinks something. And all of a sudden, just because you had the guts to think something – Chemistry and physics inside of the system you control no longer matter, and what you think becomes reality. That is magic. And unfortunately, that same level of magic you have can seem to be the same level of magic. Oh, what, a solar flare is going to cause me to have a heart attack? Well, no, not everybody, but you, if you've survived a heart attack and you still eat like crap, yeah, maybe you want to pay attention when there are solar flares. Maybe you want to sit down and not go for a jog. Maybe you want to put the cheeseburger down and get a salad that day kind of stuff. Maybe it's time to skip that second Baconator is what you're saying. Yeah, and, you know, it, it can be something as simple as there was a gentleman who their doctor was telling them to take low-dose, like, like baby aspirin on a daily basis. Yeah. He never, ever did it. One day he got the alert on his phone. Two hours later, he was feeling pressure in his chest. He popped a baby aspirin, called 911, and the, the people in the ambulance, people in the hospital, his doctor said, the only reason you're still here is because you took that baby aspirin that day. And he said, the only reason I took that baby aspirin and listened to you that day was because I got that app alert on my phone. And unfortunately, Welcome to America. Uh, it's one of the things that comes with our lovely freedom, which I, I wouldn't trade for anything, but this is what freedom can manifest in sometimes. And so um, there's a number of things. There's a tightrope walker who, who does tightropes over like 900-foot death drops, but he won't do it if the cosmic rays are too high because he knows they're pounding his, his hippocampus and other parts of his brain. He won't do it if the cosmic rays are too high that day. So um, – it can be everything from an extreme example to the everyday Joe. Cool. I, I was going to say that, that holds like a mind over matter in real practice. Yeah, it's magic. And everybody can do it. M Mr. Hughesong, any, any follow-up here? 
because I have I have a question from one of Probably our super fans. Ton, but in the interest of time, let's keep going. I'll circle <laughs> right. back later. So, so I got I got an email from one of our fans here. Uh, she wants to know: uh, Do black holes exist? Is that something you can answer for uh, super fan Claire? So. Um, they don't exist in the exact way that they've that they thought existed uh, ten years ago, or what you may have learned in school. Heck, what we think we know about black holes is changing by the week. And looking a good bit ahead, I think that very, very little of what was originally described as a black hole is going to end up being real. Um, it's not as though you know there aren't those super massive compact objects, but they certainly do not. Uh, they're certainly not the things that are described. Uh, you know, access to wormholes. You know, in an inescapable force that even light can't get away from. You know, those things aren't real. Excellent. Okay, so let's take this big picture as big as you possibly can. Um, well, maybe not as big as you possibly can, or maybe it is. Let's talk uh, the third movie of your series, the catastrophe uh, cycle. Um, we go back to the sun where we started. Uh, we have uh, re- redefined the sun a little bit uh, here. Not It wasn't what we thought it was in our science class in, in ninth grade. Um, we're finding out, or maybe you're finding out uh, specifically, that there is a uh, ever-increasing number of what are being called, or what are called recurring novas. Um, I think you may have coined the term micronova, um, but I feel like they might just actually be the same thing. And uh, can you start with uh, what a nova or a micronova or a recurring nova is? And then we can go on how that will affect the Earth from there. Sure. So they've started to notice uh, as they were watching stars that they had known had nova. And then they're like, wait a minute, it looks like there's still a star there in the middle. And then it goes boom. And then it goes boom over and over again. They've seen some go boom seven, ten times. And the thought process now is that every nova that doesn't destroy the star is going to recur. And it can be on this level of a year. Like there's one in the Andromeda galaxy. Every Earth year it has a, it has a miniature nova to millions of years apart. And they can be as big as supernova to something where there's like a snake-like shedding of its outer you know, atmosphere shell where the blast that we look at might be very high in X-rays, for example, but the actual shock wave of the Nova would barely get past the orbit of Mercury. And so um, we have seen all different scales of, of, of recurrence. We've hypothesized that these scales of recurrence go out to millions of years. We have seen everything from super huge uh, supernova down to things that wouldn't even, you know, recurring events that wouldn't even get, you know, wouldn't even destroy Mercury. Yeah, they might bake them with x-rays whenever the shell released, but at least it wouldn't, you know, break the planet apart with with a supernova shell. Um, Our sun is somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, It is likely the reason why we have this weird uh, magnetic reset on the planet every 10 to 15,000 years. Uh, unfortunately, it is just a very few isotopes that we keep finding in these layers that tell us it had to be uh, some kind of stellar nova event. There's no other way to create these isotopes. Um, 
We also know that they don't live that long, and so they couldn't have been here before the Earth formed, before the solar system formed, and they didn't travel from a nearby star that went supernova, even you know a very close one that went nova. It would still take the thing, you know, millions of years to get here across the distance of space, and so we know that we need a recent, nearby, and apparently due to the layering, recurring nova event. Uh, and since something like that in another star we would notice or uh, we would you know, be destroyed by if it was an actual supernova, we're talking about a recurring micronova event from the sun. And uh, this would go and help explain a lot of the stories about uh, ancestors, regardless of where they lived and what gods they, they worshipped. They always tend to point to the sun as a destroyer and a bringer of life. Uh, in Egypt specifically, they've got a couple of uh, pharaohs in deep history that use the black sun symbol. Um, it's in Christian prophecy, uh, and there's chemistry and physics to back up how it would all happen, too. In fact, um, in the in the years slash weeks uh, leading up to it in terms of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the, the colors, they actually kind of fit with the sun uh, how it would go down at the sun, starting with the first one being years ahead of time and then the last one sort of in the last couple of weeks, days, uh, so to speak. Uh, just to give you an example, I mean, imagine somebody asked you today what color the sun is and you can bring yourself to actually look up there. And if it's anywhere near the top of the sky, you can't say it looks yellow. You just can't. Uh, the sun doesn't look yellow anymore. It's white. It's so bright it wears a crown up there at the top of the sky. And um, that's one of the first, you know, signs are changing. And it's not that, that the sun is necessarily changing so much, but the entire solar system is going through this magnetic event. We see evidence on Earth with our magnetic field beginning to change. We see the sun beginning to change. We see these sort of weather changes and auroral, you know, northern light space changes on other planets that you would expect if they were going through magnetic changes. And so one of the first things we're going to see is through our changing magnetic lens, the sunlight looks different. Remember, light is just electromagnetic radiation. Yes, our magnetic shell around this planet affects how we look at space, how we look at the sun, how we see light coming through. And so there's literally at the top of the sky every single day a sign that, hey, look, this is not what you grew up with. I'm here, but I don't I'm wearing a different costume up here now. Do you like my crown? And what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be a very powerful X-ray event and there's going to be a shockwave that does get to Earth. It's not going to destroy the Earth, but it's going to bring things like meteors and very powerful electromagnetic wax like we were describing earlier. And there's very little chance that we won't be thrown back into the Stone Age when it happens. Uh, and there's really no other way to describe it. Um, it's the kind of thing where we see the evidence of this happening about every 12,000 years, I like to be a little safer and say 10 to 15,000, but really it's about every 12,000 years. The last one was 12,000 years ago, and we're currently experiencing very strong magnetic changes on the planet in the precise way one would expect were such a 12,000-year event to happen again. We see it in the weather. If, if you've been watching this week, 
uh, or at all really this summer, you know that Earth has uh, pretty much changed how it does lightning. Uh, we're sort of in an Earth discharge phase where the lightning is becoming much, much more extreme. They're happy to blame it on global warming. The problem is there's nothing about their version of global warming that should increase lightning. Uh, certainly not like this, certainly not this quickly. You know, we had been expecting another geomagnetic jerk, they call them, uh, in Earth's core last year or this year, and I think we're seeing the effects of that now. We already had gone from losing 5% of this planet's magnetic shield every century to 5% a decade or so, and that was in the last 10 to 15 years. If we've had another similar event, we're not talking end of the century. We're talking a decade from now. And you mentioned here as the as a weakening magnetosphere that also goes with the magnetic pole reversal, I believe. They're exactly, seeing- exactly. So you may have heard that you know they have to update the world magnetic model. They have to renumber airport runways. They're having to do all of these different things, and they're always trying to quell the fear and saying, "Oh well, this is this is because of the change in Earth's magnetic field." But don't worry, because of this reason or that reason. And literally that part of every single one of those articles and news stories is complete poppycock, uh, complete nonsense. It's really the the core of the story that's important. And uh, that's the real thing where if you're actually seeing this, uh, I mean, you could anybody can Google, um, you know, uh, world magnetic model. um you know, re-update. They had to do this huge re-update last year because military planes and commercial airlines are noticing, hey, our our telemetry's off here. You know, you guys need to do a better job with this. Now they'd get on local systems and be able to be guided just fine. But they're having to do this more and more often. They're having to renumber runways and, and other things like that more often. Um, well, so, more so is there, I was going to say, so along with renumbering airports, which seems like a somewhat mundane uh, task to do, are there something more serious, something more uh, devastating, if you will, that could happen from the weakening magnetosphere and a magnetic pole shift? So just like normal, we had a number of solar storms this last sunspot cycle, uh, the earlier part of this last decade, that caused major technological disruptions, uh, you know, things like they had to take all the planes out of the sky over New Zealand at one point. Um, and, you know, this is something that we see every sunspot cycle. The problem is the sun didn't do anything this last sunspot cycle that should have made that happen. It was all weak space weather, so to speak. And so basically what you're looking at is with our shield going down, it's taking less and less to cause these technological disruptions, to cause these earthquake disruptions, the weather disruptions, the disruptions to our health system as well. And when the magnetic field gets to a certain point, there will be no more electricity going through copper wires. It won't happen. There will be no more cell phones. There's going to be no more AC, no phone. No refrigeration, no food at the store. There's going to be nobody to call. There's no police. There's nothing. There's just you and everybody else around you who's hungry and thirsty. It's going to throw us back into the Stone Age. If we we get to a certain point and we get a really good blast from the sun, every copper wire on the planet will melt and burn down every structure that they're in. And some people have heard of the Carrington event. I know you have the... If something like that happened today in this state of uh, magnetosphere, what, I'm assuming that would be a, even a larger impact than just frying the, the telegraph We're lines? We're done. And they expect that one every 150 to 200 years. 
it was what a hundred and uh 161 years ago, we're on the clock here. Now, in the past, it was just a fun light show for the people. Maybe there were a few more heart attacks or strokes among the native people, the indigenous folks. But now we depend on electricity. We have built our homes with, you know, burn down mechanisms. If we get the same kind of surge of electricity that we see, that we know is going to happen again. When this thing happened in 1859, Telegraph wires caught on fire. They were unplugging the machines and still receiving telegraphs. They didn't need the electricity from the source. They were getting it from the atmosphere. Operators got shocked. Like I said, a number of buildings burned to the ground. Now, back then, there was really just the telegraph wires. There wasn't a whole lot to destroy. In fact, most of the people who had their homes destroyed or catch fire, they were richy riches at that point. They were the only ones who had electricity in the house. We all do now. And it's all on an interconnected circuit where a disruption anywhere will release the entire energy stored within that circuit uh, explosively. And that's what we are seeing happen. That's what Quebec found out. In 1989, uh, when there was something about, you know, 10% as strong as the Carrington event in the 1859 era, um, the entire province of Quebec lost power. If we get something like that today, probably the entire world's going to lose power, but it'll be like a reset and rebuild the Transformers uh, that are damaged area. If we get the Carrington event, something we know is going to happen again in the next couple of decades. If not something bigger like that micronova, it's over. We're we're cut in half. There's a hundred reproducing females left on the planet, type thing. Um, I'll make sure to yeah, sell. I have to sell my Bitcoin yeah, before then. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> and you know, we've been there a number of times on this planet. Uh, when this happened seventy thousand years ago, they think as few as forty reproducing females survived in, in the human species. Uh, and we made it back in really not that long of amount of time. So, um, you know, that's, of course, worst case scenario. But, uh, you know, we even if we hope and can pray and get lucky enough that the sun doesn't do something so terrible, we're still losing the magnetic field. And eventually, just like last cycle where we had, you know, the normal five, six events where we had a solar-induced technology disruption on a major level, I'm sitting there watching the sun being like, from where? What did it do? Like, we took a 1,000 of those the sunspot cycle before and didn't see any problems. We took a 1,000 of those the sunspot cycle before that and didn't see any problems. What the heck was so special about these? And I finally had to just come and admit it that it's not anything special about these. It's that the Earth's shield is weakening to a point where we are vulnerable. You know, Scotty says the shields are down. Worst case scenarios with the shields down. We get this thing. We Obviously, you said back to maybe 100 reproducing females. Is it just the sun-facing side or, or, or no, is it much bigger? Like what, what, what's the series of events that happens following a uh, micronova shell release hitting the earth uh, in a weakening magnetosphere? How do, how, do we, how, do we, how do we get to the other side of that? A lot of people will have to be under the ground because there's going to be cosmic rays. And probably, I mean, a lot of what we see in Nova shells is silicon dioxide, sand, glass. I mean, there's literally going to be glass beads and sand raining from the sky, um, melted in some circumstances. Um, the kind of 
super lightning that a man named Robert Shock thinks knocked off the back of the Sphinx uh, could be seen in, in various places. In fact, we're get, almost getting there with the lightning now. The kind of stuff that made the ancestors invent the, the god Thor and other, and other lightning gods and things like that. There's a reason. These people weren't stupid. They invented geometry, philosophy, architecture. These are, these are the geniuses upon which we've built our modern world. And yet we take the story that they say is the most important, the one that they demand we don't forget, and we're like, that was their fantasy. They just made that stuff up. I don't think so. They saw something that was outside of the realm of real for them, and they had to blame gods. And we're going to do the same. I don't know about the second part, but we're going to see something out of our <laughs> well, realm of experience. I'm guessing we're going to need a lot of, uh, some luck to get through the second part. Um, and that might just depend on where you are at any given time, I think. So, um, Mr. Davidson, I, I, I want to thank you for your time, and I want to wrap up here real quickly. Um, if there's anything that we missed that you want to make sure that we touch upon for the audience here uh, that we may have just glossed over or didn't touch on at all. Um, you know... Like I mentioned, really what you need to know is there's a terrible thing that happens on this planet about every 12,000 years. The last one was about 12,000 years ago. Everything you'd want, you, everything you'd want to expect to see, all the boxes that would need to be checked to, to tell you, hey, we're on that same path, they are all checked, including a bunch we wouldn't even have thought of until we saw them. We're like, oh my goodness, it's so bad. That's happening. It's happening right now. It's going to affect everyone on the planet. And it looks like, you know, even before the big show, things are going to get bad. And that time is probably not decades away. It's probably this decade. Something is going to happen and the world is going to have to realize, wait a minute, something's not right. And uh, when that happens, you think the narrative has changed in 2020. Wait until the sun and the earth turn their back on us. You haven't seen anything yet. And if it seems like people are losing their minds, well, their minds are existing in a changing electromagnetic environment, a very changing electromagnetic environment, and you haven't seen anything yet. That sounds very scary. Um, it is a little bit. Any, any chance you want to end with some hot Jeffrey Epstein take? What about Jeffrey Epstein? I said, do you want to end with some hot Jeffrey Epstein take? Oh. You, I, I'm, I, I, I'm like 70-30, he's still alive. you have any uh, uh, comment on that? I don't know if he's alive or dead, but he didn't kill himself in jail. Yeah. That's no, nonsense. Complete not. nonsense. Yeah. Just like I don't believe for a second that Ghislaine Maxwell was like, what, two miles away from the FBI office there and they didn't know it? Yeah. yeah she, she, they knew she was there. Uh, they just didn't want to tell people she was in technical custody because they were afraid someone was going to kill her. That's yeah. something I believe. Um, yeah. We, we like we like to touch on that. We like to try not to let that, that story go because I feel like it's uh, – even though – it seems like it's been going on for decades. It's just kind of coming to the bubbling to the surface here. So I like to you get know, some people's I takes on that. Throw in, you know, every once in a while, I will throw in an Epstein didn't kill himself into my morning show. Uh, I've seen them. Been, it has been known to happen every once in a while just for fun. I have seen or, them. I don't I, like actually talking about the article that I'm supposed to be talking about. But anyway. Uh, they're appreciated. And I want to appreciate your time again. Um, like I said, it was, uh, it was a privilege to, to kind of pick your brain here a little bit. And uh, I'll, I'll be in touch for sure. Absolutely. Well, you have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Thank you, Mr. Davidson. Take care.